Alrighty, we are back with your favorite podcast show of the week. It's Location Weekly, episode number 536, recording live on September the 28th. Uh, Brianna, how are you? I'm good. I'm here. You know, another week, starting to get some fall weather. It's been beautiful. So excited about that. Wish it would stay, you know, this temperature for for quite a while, but that probably won't happen. Uh, but yeah, I'm good. Just trying to catch a little bit of baseball and football when I can, which is not often, but um, yeah, you know, just moving along. How about you? Yeah, same. I'm, uh, yeah, the weather's nice. It's fall. It's, uh, I was, I went out on the weekend to, uh, on my first plane since COVID, uh, took yeah. a domestic flight out to Saskatoon, Canada and Saskatchewan. And uh, it was beautiful um, out there, and just fall colors everywhere and whatnot, and the weather was great. So had a nice, quick little weekend trip. And uh, like you, I'm you know in the heat of the baseball uh, season right now. It's this is this is crunch week uh, here in Toronto. So the Jays are one game out of the wild card right now, and they're playing um, a three-game series starting tonight against the Yankees. So it's uh, yeah. It's down to the wire. Yeah, it'll be a good one. So anyhow, we've got a good show for you. Uh, four stories that we want to walk you through today. And uh, start, I'll let Aubriana start us off with, uh, you know, a uh, at least one company out of the two here in this partnership that are uh, quite familiar to us. Yeah, we, we talked about Place IQ not too long ago, and they are back in the news now. Um, they are announcing kind of a, um, an expansion to an existing partnership with 605, um, and I'm not sure if you, you know, know who 605 is. I had to kind of do a refresh and I should know, but they're an independent TV measurement, uh, an analytics firm. So they offer, you know, advertising and content measurement. Um, they, they claim to do full funnel attribution, have, um, you know, a deterministic type of, a uh, data set that, that works across, they say more than, uh, 22 million households. Um, across 200 U.S. markets. So they have attributes from set-top box data, ACR, which is um, automatic content recognition, kind of at that glass level um, data. And, you know, they have this multi-source data set that they're saying is 100% deterministic, um, you know, that can measure like what the household is, is seeing and doing. And now they're partnering with Place IQ. Uh, to enable their customers to have more of this like real-time performance of TV and cross-platform campaigns. Um, so they'll do this across, you know, QSR, uh, retail, auto, you know, a bunch of different categories. And the data is going to go back to January of 2020. Um, so the clients can go in and kind of create these benchmarks and see how they compare to past campaigns that have run and, and get really this like key performance indicators and drivers in real time. And so um, what that will allow them to do, obviously, is make better better choices in terms of how they want to apply their media spend and their budget, um, which campaigns are working, kind of across which channels. Um, and so they're saying across uh, about 2,000 brands. And so they'll just like measure who was exposed to the media um, across different devices and platforms, and then who actually went into the store from the Place IQ perspective. Um, you know, so both companies obviously are providing a little bit of, of uh, you know, their kind of bread and butter to make this happen here. Um, you know, I think that this is this is interesting. Obviously, measurement is and transparency really is becoming more and more 
um, important in the connected TV space. And, you know, more companies want to know like, hey, as an advertiser, what am I spending money on? What's the efficacy of that? They really want to have this full funnel, um, you know, opportunities where they can do brand awareness all the way down to um, actual lower funnel purchase or sign up or whatever it may be, right? And being able to track that from an attribution perspective is important. And I think this is also interesting that they're announcing this right on the heels of Nielsen losing their MRC accreditation for what they do in terms of measurement, right? Uh, you know, and and to be honest, like this, it's time for this to be disrupted a bit because, uh, you know, I was a Nielsen household many years ago when my husband and I first moved to Atlanta. We had the box that tracked everything. And it's really interesting just to know how their methodology works is like everybody who falls into the category of um, bilingual household, Latino, and this age range were deemed by like, this is what this audience watches, right? Is what we watch um, in, in this entire postcode, which is very, very odd to me because I think that, you know, our, obviously like our, um, you know, tastes are going to be very different than probably other people's tastes with similar, you know, background information. So for me, I think that the methodology has been flawed from the beginning. This is definitely a much better methodology to go off of. I think the challenge that they might have would be scale, but at the end of the day, the partnership definitely makes sense. And, you know, I think that they'll see, uh, you know, some advertisers pick this up, especially the fact that they have 2000 brands that they can report across. So what do you think? Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's, it's a good partnership. I think that, um, you know, the accreditation part of it that you alluded to, I think is interesting timing. Uh, you know, we've heard of uh, and, and covered other uh, location data companies, you know, getting accreditation recently as well. Um, so, so I think it's, uh, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a new world order, right, when it comes to, you know, this type of measurement. You know, and, and as you were talking, I'm also thinking about some of the stories we've talked about in the last few weeks about sort of these new tools, these new platforms that are emerging around sort of, taking say digital out of home advertising and then you know sort of you know running that same ad or, or or measuring you know exposure across ott and other things so you're seeing this sort of you know sort of uh, uh spread of the media um across multiple uh different types of platforms and at the same time you know you're seeing sort of a widening or uh, expansion of the measurement of you know how we look at those things and how we you know, figure out audience segmentation around that. So, you know, I, I think this is a, it, it's, it's a, it's just a whole new way to think about things. Right. And it's a, and it's, I think from a location data perspective, I think this is very, very interesting to see companies like place IQ finding new revenue in, in an area that, you know, we wouldn't have thought of, you know, five years ago at all. Right. And, and I think that, you know, sort of thinking about, you know, our core mission at the LBMA, how we've from day one talked about, you know, this intersection of people, places and media and it being all media, television, out of home, radio, everything. You know, I, I think that you need to look at, you know, that cross segmentation across different media types. Right. And I think finding tools that can help you measure that um, and blend the location data and where people are, uh, and where they're going against you know sort of the you know what the performance of the advertising looks like and what's been displayed there and all of that i think is becomes really interesting so i i, I like this partnership I, I think it's 
it's got some legs and and it's got some potential you know as, as something that can make an impact on the industry and you know as you said with nielsen sort of losing their accreditation i think timings is, is really good so yeah yeah all right, on to our second story. So there's a company called Logic, L-O-G-I-Q. Um, it's a publicly traded company, and uh, they are launching a new geofencing platform. So, you know, I, I, I kind of read through this story, and, you know, I have to say it's like one of those stories where I'm like, you know, not really, you know, uh, ex super excited about it. it it's, uh, it's kind of like, why are we talking about geofencing now, like in 2021? Like this is something that, you know, hundreds of, of companies around the world have platforms that do this uh, in some form or fashion. Um, you know, and, and I think, uh, you know, the only thing that I really see in, in kind of what they're doing is they talk about this sort of as an alternative to mobile IDs, you know, which, you know, we know are kind of going away and getting harder. You know, by blending multiple different signal sets in, into this Wi-Fi and RFID and GPS signals and cellular network data all into one, you know, that's a that's a message that's you know very familiar to me here at uh, you know my other company, Ground Level Insights. Um, you know, we do similar things, and yeah, I mean, I think the power of geofencing is something that I think is well understood within the marketing and advertising you know community out there today i don't think this is a new concept by any means for anybody um you know i think long gone are the days where we're targeting by a postal code or zip code or you know whatever i think everybody is doing some sort of geo targeting based on some kind of geofencing so you know i'm kind of a bit bewildered by the fact that they're kind of positioning this as you know something new and novel like it's it's just not and, uh, you know, um, I think the approach in, in terms of the signals that they're blending together is somewhat, you know, has some, some uniqueness to it in terms of what they're looking for within the geofence. But, uh, you know, geofencing itself is, is nothing new. So I'm, I'm kind of like, I'm just, I'm just completely underwhelmed by this story. And uh, I was like, why is this, why is this making news this week? Um, I don't know, what are your thoughts? No, I, I would completely agree. And um, geofencing, you know, again, we always talk about this when you think about like the types of location data that you can utilize. And as you get more granular within that data set, you have a much smaller reach because you have lots of opt-ins. And now you have even more than you had 10 years ago when geofencing was kind of a big deal, right? You have, um, you know, much more compliance and, and legislation on how you have to get the consent for those opt-ins. And not only that, but traditional geofencing, you know, through integrations with the actual carriers and understanding the, the more granular location, it's actually quite costly. So I think that there's just a lot of um, nuances around this. And as you mentioned, yes, maybe they are using some new technology to do that, but that doesn't change the amount of uh, reach and scale that something like this is going to have. And I think that just having a, gen a general understanding uh, of context for consumers, as well as perhaps, you know, where they spend a lot of time in terms of like what zip code are they in or something like that, uh, could be probably equally beneficial than knowing, okay, they're right outside the store at this moment, I'm gonna send them a text message. Because again, that gets into like the creep factor and nobody wants to feel that way, right? So I think that, um, you know, where I see opportunities for geofencing is more 
around in-app uh like we see uh who is a uh, blue dot right you know where they have these different triggers and things that can be set up when you've already given consent to a specific application you know but when it comes outside of an app or just through an opt-in with your phone number i feel like it's problematic you know it's just not the way that we're moving in this industry right now um and yeah i agree i don't, I don't think that it's uh it's newsworthy <laughs> all righty let's move on to our next story then all right. So Robomart, um, I don't know if you guys are familiar with them, but they are a startup. They launched this summer out of West Hollywood, California, and they have created this, uh, you know, this direct to consumer type of a play that really is allowing retailers to plug into this hyper local service. So they have really speedy, fast delivery um, and they offer like, you know, really quick turnaround time, maybe around two minutes or so, think of like ride hailing, except, you know, you are hailing some goods, an assortment of goods. They have the security goods on a RoboMart van and it brings the store to the shopper, uh, which is really cool. I love this. I think this is great from a convenience factor. I want to see more of this with like produce. I want to see more of this with maybe like, I don't know, fresh juices or fresh meat or, you know, things like that. I can see this expanding way beyond just um, an assortment of curated like quick goods like diapers or um, you know snacks or milk or things like that right so they are allowing the shopper to go ahead and select the goods they charge them through rfid um, and so there's like a, it's like a checkout free you know you just grab what you want and then it charges the consumer and this you know we recently didn't talk about this on the show but but kroger and instacart you know we've talked about kroger and Instacart both, but you know, they just announced recently this virtual convenience rollout where they were promising 30 minute delivery of um, 25,000 different items across 50 million households in the US. But you know, Robomart kind of is doing their own thing and maybe working with uh, several different retailers, which is really cool. So they carry about 500 packs of 50 everyday products. Um, they're regularly monitored and replenished. And, um, you know, they got this whole like full experience. So they say that they can have uh, this delivered to a consumer in under two minutes. The average engagement time, you know, the time of consumers looking is about nine minutes. Um, and the prices are pretty competitive. The only thing that they actually charge is a hailing fee, which, you know, is probably similar to any other delivery fee that we see across Instacart or, you know, Uber just as a base fare or anything like that. Um, but there's no minimum order. So, this is really cool. I think that this is great because you can do so much with it. And I would love to see RoboMart expand into where they're not only working with specific retailers, maybe at a national scale, but also with small businesses. This is where you can plug in those items from, you know, local to have that really cool curated experience. So maybe you have, um, you know, a van that includes a bunch of different local artists or um, different uh, local produce, like I was saying, kind of that fresh farm to table feel. There's so much that you could do to expand upon this. So I'm excited about this. And I love that it's coming from a startup and not, um, you know, a conglomerate like, you know, Kroger, who's always super tech savvy and Instacart, who, you know, keeps iterating. I love something like this. And also, I will say, I think the benefit to having more of this RoboMart type of application is like you get to choose what you want. And how many times have we all ordered Instacart and you get some type of a replacement and you're like, that is so far from what I actually ordered. Um, for example, I had ordered like Arnold's organic bread 
last week. And the uh, substitute that I got was Wonder Bread, which is like as far as possible that you could get from, you know, organic bread. So it's like you get these replacements and you're like, how did this even get chosen? And this gives you that ability to really pick and choose, but still have that convenience factor in nine minutes. Like I'm in on this. So I love this story. I can't wait to see, you know, what they do in terms of like expanding and partnership wise. So I think this is one we should keep a close eye on. Yeah, I completely agree with you on this one. I mean, it, it's um, not the first uh, of these that we've seen out there. I remember, you know, we covered probably two years ago now, um, a, a similar type of sort of store on wheels that could be hailed uh, in China, uh, you know, convenience store type products, um, you know, like that, you know, consumables and, and those kinds of things. Uh, and they had fresh fruit and they had like, you know, chocolate bars and chips and, you know, even some some sort of uh, you know clothing items, you know, and umbrellas and things like that. So, I you know it, it's I, I think there's definitely a you know a market for this, and and I, I'm with you. I think that there's an opportunity here for local business. I think there's, you know, I could see Amazon getting into uh, this space. I could see you know Seven Eleven getting into this space. I could see all sorts of different um you know retail brands kind of you know going taking this approach right um because i i think it, it's just it's about convenience right and i think people are you know time starved and uh you know we've seen the growth of all of the you know sort of buy online uh you know pick up at store we've seen all of the you know sort of order your groceries and and uh and it's it, it's delivered to you on you know Uber Eats or what have you. Um, I mean, so, so I, I just think this is, you know, sort of a the next, you know, sort of level of, of expansion into this type of convenience-based uh, retail marketing. And, you know, the idea of this store is coming down the street with your stuff, I think makes a ton of sense to me, right? And then you can hail it. It's kind of like, you know, I'm going to oversimplify now, but like, it'd be really great. Like if, you know, like we still have in my neighborhood, the ice cream truck comes around, you know, in the summer, you know, every night. Um, but like, it'd be really interesting if you could actually hail the ice cream truck and have it come when you actually needed it or wanted it. Um, not that anybody needs ice cream, I guess. Want well, our neighborhood does have an ice cream truck and you can call it actually. It, yeah. I mean, you make a phone call, but you can yeah. call it to come, which is awesome. I mean, I, I don't use that always. It usually skips our road because the park is on the road behind us. And so I usually just say like, oh, if it comes by, we can get it knowing and hoping that it doesn't come by because, you know, kids yeah. are already having way too much sugar, but it's still the point is like the convenience. Yes, it's there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm, I'm all for this kind of thing. And I think it makes a ton of sense. I just, you know, I, I'm interested to see sort of what kinds of retailers or brands kind of jump into this type of thing. You know what would be really cool would be like what what if you had like you know an etsy uh robomart or something like that yeah right? so local artists local anything. artists yeah. like that would be really interesting right to see that because mm -hmm. i think that would be really create local engagement and local artists you know have an actual you know sort of storefront all of a sudden that people could call on and and interface that with you know the online presence on etsy and things like that I don't know. I'm just throwing ideas out now, but no, but it's like, okay, I need a quick gift. I need a gift for a baby shower. I need a birthday gift yeah. for a friend, like being able to just quickly have that show up at my door. I shop really quickly and get it. You know, I've got 
a, a handmade candle or, you know, a nice print or a handmade card or something that's like really, like, like I said, a curated experience. There's so much opportunity there, especially in larger cities where all this stuff is happening. Yeah. So there you go. Check it out. Robomart. Uh, good stuff happening there. All right. Our final story, a uh, little bit of an acquisition um, here. Longtime LBMA member, Mood Media. Uh, if you're not familiar with them, they're a uh, big player in the uh, in-store, um, you know, experiential uh, media solutions. So digital signage, uh, uh, in-store music, like mu the music that you hear playing when you walk into a, you know, Banana Republic store or what have you. Um, you know, all of that kind of experiential, um, you know, retail uh, environmental uh, stuff. That's Mood Media. And they've gone out and acquired a longtime competitor called Play Network um, from uh, its owner, Octave Group. And, um, you know, so this is really about, you know, sort of just expanding their footprint even further. Uh, Mood says they reach 150 million consumers each day uh, at some 500,000 subscriber locations in 100 plus countries. Um, but that's, you know, sort of mainly retail and uh, some hotels and QSRs and banks, but Play really, uh, Play Network, you know, sort of adds to that some 400 customer brands and uh, another 100,000 locations in 115 countries. So, you know, again, it's, it's, it's a bit of a geographic uh, land grab for them. It's, um, you know, adds to some, some differentiation in the brands uh, that they're uh, representing and I think just makes them a bigger, stronger you know, player in this space. There's been some some new startups coming along, um, you know, in this category. But at the end of the day, I think um, when it comes to here's a location, you know, what's, you know, how do I use this um, environmental, you know, media, uh, whether that's music or uh, some sort of digital signage, or I know they're also involved in, you know, sort of doing things uh, with with uh, scents and, and, and things like that as well. Um, you know, like how do you, you know, how do you leverage that to, you know, create a uh, an experience with that consumer in that place, and how does a brand kind of, you know, activate based on that? You know, there's, you know, it's uh, hard to kind of sort of top this, this sort of the 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 geographic uh, network and and the the breadth of offerings that Mood Media has here. So I think this kind of acquisition just, you know, makes them so much stronger than they already are, um, and. Um, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, you know, and Play Network was one of those that, you know, they had a good footprint. They kind of went into uh, Chapter 11 and, um, you know, the, uh, you know, sort of reemerging out of this now in, 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 a, in a much stronger way. So what are your thoughts? Yeah, I'm a big, uh, you know, fan of buying instead of building whenever something has already been built and has the, the reach. Um, and you know perhaps the technology or the client list that you're that you're trying to go after, uh, I think that it makes a lot of sense. It's just like a, a much more streamlined approach to growing the business, especially as you mentioned. There's other smaller competitors that are entering. Um, this gives them you know definitely a, a stronger you know foothold on on those uh, geos where they've expanded to now as well. So. Um, be interesting to see if there was any technology that was acquired that was helpful, uh, you know, to them. But yeah, I mean, it's good, good acquisition. So congrats to Mood and our friends there. Yeah, hundred percent. All right, well, that's our show for this week. Uh, four uh, great stories, uh, lots of activity as usual in, in our industry, and uh, we appreciate your time. 
um, and uh, just uh, help us, uh, you know, to keep this going. You know, reach out to us with story ideas, give us some feedback uh, on whichever platform you're consuming this, uh, and uh, we'll of course be back next week with another show. Um, and um, yeah, have a great week, everybody, and uh, we'll see you soon. Oh, 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 oh,